the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, our heart's desire tonight, Lord God, is to know you in a deeper and more intimate way, Lord God. And Father, we know the only way that is attainable, Lord God, is through a systematic, Lord God, crucifixion of our own flesh. So tonight, in the name of Jesus, as we come into this place, Lord God, Father, we come... Father, to, to, to punish our flesh, to punish our disobedience, Lord God, with obedience towards your righteousness, Lord God. So, Father, as we come into this place, Father, we cast down every thought, every imagination, anything that would exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ. And, Father, we come and humble our hearts before you. We ask you in the name of Jesus, Father, to come into this place, Lord God, to come manifest your presence in our hearts and lives. Lord God, we do not, Lord God, want to walk around in your kingdom, Lord God, lurking like some shadowy figure, Lord God. But, Father, we want to walk in the light as you are in the light. Father, we don't want there to be found any darkness in us, Lord God, just as there's no darkness found in you. So, Father, as we come into this place tonight, Lord God, for this time, Father, we ask you to do a work in our hearts. Father, leave nothing hidden, Lord God, leave no stony place unturned. Lord God, move, Lord God, in those places that we've, Lord God, kept reserved. Lord God, we've so often find ourselves taking our spiritual trips down memory lane, Lord God, and revisiting, Father, those old waste places. But Father, I thank you, Lord God, through the blood of Jesus, Lord God, we're made new, Father, every single day. So, Father, as we come to this place, Lord God, we open our hearts and our minds unto you. We ask you to come into this place, Lord God. We pray for each one. I pray for every heart and mind to be sealed by your spirit, Lord God. I pray in the name of Jesus that strong men would be bound. Lord God, in Jesus' name, Lord God, every distraction, every bit of weariness, Lord God, sickness, whatever it might be, Lord God, I bind those things in the name and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would speak clearly, Lord God, to our hearts tonight. Lord God, anything that would discourage or dissuade or distract Father, we take those things, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. Father, I just ask that you would speak in this room, speak through this servant, Lord God, in and of myself I am incapable. But, Father, I thank you, Lord God, that the Spirit resides, Lord God, in me, Lord God, as just your servant, Lord God. And I just ask, Lord God, that this servant, Lord God, might be a tool, Lord God, of honor for you tonight. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, and amen. Let's ask you guys a question. How many of you, when you got up this morning, that maybe in the first few minutes of being awake, that you stopped by and took a look at yourself in the mirror? Maybe it was in the restroom, maybe it was in your bedroom, wherever it was, but you took a quick glance at yourself in the mirror. And how many of you, when you took that first glance, uh, you may have not been too pleased with what was looking back at you, that you made an assessment based on what you saw, and you knew that, that what you saw in the mirror needed some work. Whether a lady thought that maybe I need to put a little makeup on my face, or a man thought, man, my hair looked bad enough when I went to bed, and it looks twice as bad now. How many of you thought and you made that, 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 that deduction from what you gathered that something needed to be done before you went out and faced the public? Let me ask you another question. How many of you, when you get into God's Word, that that Word is like that mirror that looks you right back and it reveals all those flaws and characteristics and it says you need some work before you go out in the public? Let me ask you a question tonight. Why is it so many times that we can look into the Word and we can walk away from it, we can walk away from the dealing of the Spirit of God uh, and walk away as though we did not behold what we did? And it's almost like the old children's tale of mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And the mirror lies back to us and tells us exactly what we want to hear. How many of you have have, have developed, maybe just through a a lack of sensitivity to the Spirit of God, the mirror, mirror on the wall type of mentality? And it's almost like, tell me I'm fair. Tell me I'm okay. Tell me everything is is fine. And and really, we're not beholding ourselves in the mirror. How many of you that your preparation before you leave the house is totally dependent upon the feedback that you get from that mirror? 
You know that your hair's right because of the feedback you get from the mirror. You you know that your makeup's on right because of the feedback you get in the mirror. If you buy a, put, or put a suit of clothes on that you purchase, the feedback that you get is what you looked in the mirror. And, and folks, if you notice that in our society today, and I know you have, if you've walked around with your eyes open for over a minute, that much of our society, and as a result, much of the church has has been based upon how things appear. We become such a visually driven society. If things look right, they must not, they must be right. If things don't look right, they must not be right. And so everything that we see and everything that we do is always to, to capture something visually in our life. Drive down, uh, I-95 and what do you see? You see billboard after billboard appealing to your senses. You'll see one that's, that's offering a room and a stay at a, at a nice hotel. Another one that's offering maybe some type of, of product or, or vehicle. Everything is out there to entice us because we're so visually driven. And folks, if you ever owned a business, maybe you do here tonight and, you know that a big part of your, your, your budget is, is advertising and merchandising. I think, Aaron, you have an ad in the telephone directory, and I'm sure that they just didn't give that to you for free. Probably a, a big part of your overhead on a monthly basis is associated with that advertising that, that draws those things. And when you, when you design that ad, it's something that it, you want to set it apart from everything else. When you sell your home, you sell the realtor, Holly's in the type of business that's called stage it, sell it. And so her whole business is about when you walk into that property, make it appealing, make it look like something the people uh, want to live in. And so it's all in that, that first look. And so you go in and you create a, a, an ambiance, you create a, 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 a fragrance, you create this look that says this is a place to live in. Now, it didn't change the fact that that house was a house full of misery prior to that. But what you do for just a moment, because our society is so driven, your business even becomes driven, regardless of what your business is. What happens when you shop for clothes? Is it always how they feel that sells you? Or is it how they look on you? How about a husband that's gone shopping with his wife? Does does your wife ever look at you and say, well, how do I feel in this? They're going to say, how do I look in that? Some of you, maybe you've got, you'll get a, a gift from a friend or something, and it'll be a, some type of garment, and, and you put that on, and you're going to, first thing you're going to do is say, how does it look? You buy a car, you don't, first thing you don't look at it, say, okay, I want that car because it, it's the best miles per gallon. You look at that car, and it appeals to you from the outside, from a distance. What color is it? What's the style? Not how practical it is. You buy a house, does it look good? Not is it immediately functional? You look for a spouse or a mate. Do they appeal to you physically? Is that the thing we look for? That person is attractive to us? I find that person attractive? Or do we say to ourselves, is that the man or woman of God that would make me closer to Jesus? And so folks, I say all that to tell you, I believe that the church has literally been shaped and fashioned by that same type of value system that this world has. Everything is based upon appearance. Everything is based upon image. Seeker-sensitive churches look to draw the outward attraction rather than to bring about an inward conviction. So I want to ask you the question tonight. What is it that you've allowed into your heart, into your life, into your relationship with Jesus that is solely governed upon the outward attraction rather than the inward conviction that God is speaking to you at this moment in your life? How many of you have kids like I did when they were little and they snubbed a plate of food and they, food and they said, I don't like it. And you said, have you tasted it yet? They said, no. And you said, well, how do you know you don't like it? Because I don't like the way it looks. Folks, I got news for you at nearly 43 years old. There is tons of things. Most everything I eat today, when I was 12 or 13 years old, I did not like them. Not because they didn't taste good, but because they did not look like I wanted them to look. If they were not wrapped up in a Burger King wrapper or they did not have golden arches on them, I did not want to eat it. But I tell you what, when you got to cook for yourself, when you go through a few hard times, you'll find your palate becomes a lot less sensitive to the packaging. And as long as it fills you up, it'll meet that need that you have at that given moment. Luke chapter 18 verse 8 asks this question. Luke 18 and 8 asks this question of each and every one of us. It says, when the Son of Man comes, how many of you believe that Jesus is coming back? 
When the Son of Man comes, let me ask you a question. How many of you have been desensitized to the coming of the Lord? Have you? Are you desensitized to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of you, by a show of hands in this place tonight, believe that the Lord Jesus Christ could come back at any moment? Most everyone? How many of you do not believe that He could not come back? Anybody? So, everybody, some indecisive? Amen. So, most every one of us, by a show of hands, believe that the Lord Jesus could come back at any moment, right? Now, how many of you feel like you may have not lived your life yesterday? As though he could come back at any moment. Is your conversation a conversation that says that he could come back at any moment? Is your worship, is your prayer, is your obedience, is your willingness, are your relationships, are relationships that would give the indication that he could come back at any moment? But it says when the sun comes, it doesn't say, will he find good intentions? It doesn't say, will he find the right t-shirt or the right membership or the right organization? It says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Not will he find religious imagery on the earth, but will he find faith in, 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 in the earth? And when he's talking about the earth, he's not talking about under a rock. He's not talking about hidden in some closet. He's not talking about wrapped in a nice paper brown bag. He's talking about faith in your heart and life. And so when Son of Man comes, Joy, will he find faith and joy? When he splits the eastern skies and he examines your heart, apart from all the other things, will he find faith in Joy's life? When the Son of Man comes, Jared, is he going to look to you and not say, well, who was your daddy? Who was your church? Is he going to find faith in your heart and life? What about you, Hope? When the Son of Man returns and he splits the eastern skies and he comes with ten thousands of his saints and you stand before his judgment seat, will he find faith in your life? Because folks, I got news for you. If he does not find biblical faith, I'm not talking about Christian television faith or Christian conference faith. I'm not talking about Christian bestseller faith or Christian t-shirt faith or your favorite praise uh, tape faith or, or MySpace or Twitter or Facebook faith. I'm talking about, is he going to find the type of faith that will bring an endurance into our life? Is he going to find the type of faith that's going to bring the manifestation of holiness and righteousness? Is he going to bring the type of faith that would cause you to abandon the world and strive towards the high calling of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it going to be that type of faith? Because that is the type of faith he's going to recognize on that day. All of these things that we can prop up and preen about as faith, those are not going to be things that are going to grab the attention of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords when he splits the eastern skies. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 1 through 15. And I'm not going to read all those verses. I'll just kind of summarize it for you just for a minute. But 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 1 to 15 tells the story of a woman named Hannah. And she was one of the two wives of Elkanah. And she was barren. In other words, she was unable to conceive. That she probably suffered the, 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 the biggest hardship or the, the biggest stigma that was associated with women at that time. She was the, a, a wife that the, the desire of a, a wife or the, the heart of a woman was to bring some type of posterity into the family, to bring an offspring, to produce a, a son, to give birth, to, to have that. And a, a woman that was barren felt totally worthless. But she was so distraught over not being able to give her husband a son like the other wife had that she cried out to the Lord and she said, God, if you'll only give me a son, then I'll give him back to you. Let me ask you a question here today. And I'm not talking about, this, this goes for men, women, children, anyone else that's in this room tonight. How many times have you cried out and implored to the Lord said, God, if, if you'll just do this for me. God, I feel barren in my faith. I feel barren, Lord God, in your presence, Lord God. If you'll just do this for me, Lord God, I'll give you the most valuable thing to me. God, if you'll just show up this one time, I'll never ask you for anything else. God, if you'll just show up this one time, Lord God, you'll, you'll never have to wonder about me again, Lord God. I'll give you everything. God, if you'll just show me mercy, Lord God, deliver me from this circumstance, this, this one time, Lord God, I'll give everything that I have for you. God meets a need. God shows up in faithfulness. And a few days, a few weeks, maybe a few months later, you find yourself not holding up to your part of the bargain. And you say, God! I know what I said back then. 
I, I, I know what I told you back then, and, and you, and I, I know I told you that just this one time, but I, I want to change the contract in the middle. Doesn't that drive you crazy when you hear about these athletes that are already making millions of dollars and they sign a five-year contract and two years in because they had a good season? They want to go and renegotiate the contract? How many of you have said to yourself that this, they're selfish? Well, who do they think they are? They were paid to do good. Right? When you signed the contract, I expected you to deliver. Now that you've delivered, you want more money on what I've already paid you for? Folks, you know why that is? It's because the church has adopted this arrogant athlete type of mentality. God, if you'll just save me, Lord God, I'm lost. And Lord God, I don't want anything. My desire is nothing else, Lord God. I just, I just want your presence, Lord God. I just need your deliverance. I just need your hope. Then he saves us. And he writes our name in the Lamb's book of life. Then the sweetness of his presence, the, the reality of that deliverance begins to wear off. Well, God, I know you saved me, but I want to renegotiate this contract. I know, Lord God, that you busted the bank for me the first go around, Lord God. But to now, the one that cried out and said, thank you for giving me the chance. Thank you that when the battle for free agency was there and the enemy was offering a record contract, you stepped up and you broke the bank with the blood of your son, Jesus. How many of you are you trying to renegotiate your relationship with Jesus because you think you've done something to warrant a better deal? Give me a son and I'll give him back to you. It says she went to the temple to pray at that particular time. And as she prayed, it says her lips moved, but she was not speaking out loud. It said that led to Eli the high priest asking if she was drunk. Folks, I got news for you. Hannah's answer, just as you and I are, Eli's answer is not going to be found in the scene but it's going to be found in the unseen. What type of answer, what type of response are you looking for from Jesus? You know, we can look at that here and see a woman that went to pray and her heart was distraught. She just wanted to please her husband and, and have that type of relationship with him. How could this priest be so shallow in immediately thinking that she had to be intoxicated rather than having the discernment to see what the real issue was. How could this person that had been giving charge over their life say, they're just drunk, rather than looking beyond what they saw into the unseen? It says in 1 Samuel 3.1, I'm going to tell you why. And it says, And the word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. The word of the Lord was precious in those days, and there was no open vision. Folks, it was a period of time where there was no open vision. That is, there was no clear directive regarding the things of God or in even hearing from God. It was kind of like a catch-as-catch-can type of thing for God's people. There had been such a time and a period of compromise and idolatry that the true word of God and the word of the Lord was had really been kind of drowned out by confusion in this this man-centered time and, and really not too much like what we face today. Let me ask you a question. Is the Word of God precious to you in these days? Do you find when God speaks, do you find it precious? Do you find yourself sensitive to the voice of the Lord? Do you find yourself desensitized to the conviction of the Spirit of God. Do you find yourself desensitized to the time that the Lord Jesus would like to speak into your heart and life? Is it because there's no open vision? Is God speaking to you? Is God directing you? Is God bringing conviction into your life? Is God revealing Himself to you? Is God demanding a decrease in your life? Or is it a time like in 1 Kings 17 says that there was no king in the land? And so everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. Folks, I believe that we're in a day of a day and age that men 
work out the power of God through their own flesh. Many preach out of the strength of their own talents and ability. They draw crowds and they move people through manipulation and charisma. They preach a compromised gospel that's man-centered and Christ-forgotten. Most of you know the story in 1 Samuel 16. It tells a woman, tells of this child that this woman had, which was Samuel, the prophet of God. It says he went to the house of Jesse to appoint one of his sons the king of Israel. It says there, it says, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look out on the countenance or on the height of their stature. It says, For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And Colossians two sixteen and 17 says this, it says, do not let any man judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or the new moon or the Sabbath days, which are the shadow of things to come. Someone say the shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. I read a story a number of years ago about a famous art gallery owner in New York City that was going to be staging this very exclusive uh, showing of artwork. And he began to put the advertisement out about this person that was the greatest thing since uh, Rembrandt. He, he, he said he, his ability surpasses in that of, of Van Gogh. He just, incredible. He talked about his brush strokes and just the, 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 the composition of his uh, materials and, and all of these things. And, and th- those that came to this gallery could only come and look by invitation only. So it, not just anybody could even come. He didn't, he said this, this person's work and his uh, talent was so proficient that, that, that that only even a select few would even be able to lay eyes upon it. Talked about this this artist. He had ability to to capture the realism and all these things and just everything. It just would move you. And and he transcended and surpassed all the other artists. And the gallery owner, when the people showed up and he pulled it back and he said, "But one thing's going to surprise you. Everything he does, he does with invisible paint." Now, folks, we can talk about who we are and what we've done and talk about we're the next great thing or talk about who we are. But, folks, when people look at the canvas and it's all done with invisible paint, it doesn't matter how talented that we are. It doesn't matter how, how great our brush strokes are unless there's something to grab a hold of that's going to bring the proof of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke 17, chapter 20, chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, it says this. Jesus, he says, he was demanded of the Pharisees. And they asked the question, when is the kingdom of God coming? And he said to them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. And he said, neither will they be able to say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. He says, it does not come with Observation. Observation means to have some type of visual or ocular evidence. The kingdom of God does not come with the type of evidence that we see on a billboard. The kingdom of God does not come with the type of ocular or visual evidence that we see on a business card or in a, in a, in a, in a display ad in a, in a, in a phone book. The, the, the kingdom of God does not come with what we can plaster upon our, our t-shirt. It says the, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. In other words, what it's saying is you cannot see it in the natural. You can't touch it in the natural. You can't comprehend it in the natural. Now hear me folks, because do so would make it natural. And it is supernatural. Are you trying to bring God's kingdom into a place of the natural? Because once the kingdom of God moves from something that is within us to a thing that can only be held with what we see, it moves from the realm of the supernatural, it moves from a place derived from the Spirit into a place that only has power over our flesh. It's something that only testifies about what it sees in a mirror, not testifies what's happening in the heart of a man. And so, where is the kingdom of God in your life? Is the kingdom of God something that's in some fairy tale kingdom in some land far, far away, and you're just waiting for the page to turn so you can see what happens to the, the prince and the pumpkin? Or is the kingdom of God something in your life that is so, so much more real than what you can see in your eyes and see in your, your, your mind or, or, or see in your circumstance? Why? Because it is, it, it, it's derived from the supernatural place from the abode of God. Folks, a lost person often will ask you, they've asked me this 
to show them the, sing, the kingdom of God. Well, if God's there, show him to me. Where's he at? Have you ever seen him? Folks, it's like asking somebody to show you gravity. Show me gravity. Well, I can't show you gravity, but I can show you the effects of gravity. I can show you what gravity can do. I can show you the effect that it would have on a weighted object. But what about the effect that the kingdom of God has on our life? I can't show you God's kingdom, but I can show you the effect of God's kingdom. I can't take you to God's kingdom, but I can show you the effect of living in God's kingdom. And so what is the benefit, what is the effect, what is the the, the reality of the kingdom of God? It is how it causes us not to be changed just on how we look, but how we are from the inside. It causes something to come out from us that is not just influenced when people are looking. It's just not our personal billboard of Christianity. It's what's going on in the inside of a person that testifies, or if I can use the term, advertises who we genuinely are. Are. We know what it says. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But how many of you know that hope seen is not hope at all? Hope seen is not hope at all. Anybody have any hope? Because once you see it, it ceases to be hope. I want my hope to be in Christ. I'm, I'm not looking for a, a hope that's only seen with Visual or ocular evidence. I want a hope that's more real than what I see. I don't want some airbrushed hope. Something that there's a, 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 a an image that's put and it's, it's doctored and altered based upon someone else's perception of hope. I want a hope that does not make ashamed. Not that it does not make ashamed before men, but a hope that's inside of me that would make me not ashamed when I stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Here's what the Lord spoke to me. You and I are the three-dimensional manifestation of people whose Lord and King cannot be contained in three dimensions. Let me say it again. You and I are the three-dimensional manifestation of people whose Lord and King cannot be contained in three dimensions. Folks, i got news for you. What we see cannot contain our King. What we know, what we think, what we do, what we surmise, whatever terminology that you want to utilize, our king cannot be contained within those parameters. The king that heals, the king that delivers, the the king that brings freedom, the king that brings provision cannot be contained in some three-dimensional picture that we draw or or, or write up on on, on some uh, uh, dry erase board. The, The king of kings and the lord of lords is not something that can be contained with time and space. He can only be known and realized in a realm apart from our understanding here, and that's called the realm of faith. Folks, we think that faith many times, the modern gospel has said faith is evidence in, in how much money you got in your hand. That faith is evidence in by the size of your house or, or, or by the value of your car. Faith is evidence by whether or not you have the, the best suit and the best shoes. Folks, i got news for you. None of those things, none of those things that we possess in the natural are designed to function in the realm of faith. Faith is so much bigger. Faith is so much more holy. It is derived out of righteousness. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope seen is not hope at all. And the evidence of things that cannot be seen with an ocular evidence. Faith is something that when the world sees it, the best that they can do is accuse you of being drunk, accuse you of being stupid, accuse you of being foolish. Why? Because they cannot see into that realm. But what we've done is we've raised up an Eli priesthood that does not even recognize faith when it comes to the altar. It doesn't recognize faith in the heart of an individual. So faith was manifested in the heart of holiness. People are going to look at it and say, that ain't faith at all. You just lost your mind. You need to step back into reality. You just don't understand. You need to do a reality check. Why? Because faith cannot even be comprehended or understood in this realm. So why is it? That we continue the just will live by faith, but somehow we want to take the just living by faith and move over into dimension of flesh so it can satisfy our ocular evidence. Folks, you cannot have it, I cannot have it both ways. You cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve faith 
and flesh. We cannot serve the Spirit and what we see. Why? Because I'll end up loving one, hating the other, hating the other, and loving the one. We've got to ask ourselves, what area, what place, what dimension am I going to live in? Am I going to live in the area of faith? Well, when he comes back, he's going to find me dwelling there? Am I going to live and dwell in the area of flesh? And he returns and he says, depart from me. I don't know you. My kindred are the kindred of fellowship of faith. Not the fellowship of the presumption. Not the fellowship of the name and claim it. Not the fellowship of the religious. But the fellowship of faith. Folks, the outward says that you're sitting here in church tonight, right? That's what it says in the outward. But the invisible says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Which one's more believable to you? The outward or the invisible? Are you more in, intimate the outward? Or are you more intimate with the invisible? Certainly each and every one of us here tonight, we have to be in the world. We have to be in the outward. But God forbid that I be of the outward. I may have to be in the outward, but I want to be of the invisible. I want my faith, I want my assurance, I want my dwelling place to be in the place of the invisible. The outward says that you're the same old person that you've always been. But the invisible says that you're a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so if I'm more intimate with the outward, I say I can't give that up. I say I'm always going to struggle. I say that addiction is just too tough. God's going to have to understand. I'm just bitter. I can't forgive. You don't understand where I came from. That's living in the outward. But the inward says, listen, my man, my spirit is renewed every single day in the invisible kingdom. I'm renewed day by day. And I'm not going to function, I'm not going to entertain, I'm not going to cater to that which is in the outward. Folks, i got news for you as believers. If someone is dead set on the outward, you will never be able to minister to the inward man. Can I say that again? If you've got someone that is so determined to make their dwelling place in the outward, I don't care how much scripture you, you quote, I don't care how much counsel you give, I don't care how many churches they join, I don't care how many opportunities they have, you can shake water over them, you can have them take communion five times a day, but if they're so committed to the outward man, the inward man will never be changed and transformed. Why? Because it is not functioning in the same dimension. My bondage only survives when I dwell in the outward. Because the second I step into the inward, all of those things that define me on the outward are unwarranted, unwanted. They're unwelcome in this place. The outward says I'm sick and weak. The invisible says I'm well because I've been healed through the blood of Jesus. It's tough, isn't it? It's tough when you've been sick, you are sick, you're, you're struggling, you're, 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 you're fighting that thing. Why is that, folks? Because the body of Christ for 2,000 years, because of the lack of faith, genuine faith, the lack of holiness and righteousness and repentance, what we've done is we've built and devised these paper tigers and we've called them Christianity and they've been outward. It's like walking into a Hollywood mock-up of an old west town and thinking you're about to walk into a saloon but you open the door and all you find is a vacant lot back behind that saloon door. That's what the church of today has developed. We've developed this, 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 this look. We've had the look of Christianity. We've had the, 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 the ambiance of Christianity. But there's been one thing missing from Christianity, and that's Christ, who dwells here in His kingdom in that invisible place. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved. Man, I like when he starts out like that. Now we are the sons of God. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. When? When? Later on? At the rapture? Thousand year reign? Millennium? When? Now. We are now the sons of God and it does not yet appear 
Anybody here right now? It does not yet appear what we shall be. Man, God, I hear you, but man, it just does not appear what we shall be. Lord God, I, I, I know I'm your son. I know I'm your child. I know you. But God is right now struggling with seeing how it's going to be. Anybody? God, I know who I am. I know what you did. I know what you desire. But Lord God, I need to move from a place of knowing intellectually, Lord God, to a place of dwelling in the invisible. God, I know what you said. I've read the Bible. I've preached it. I've seen it, Lord God, to a degree. I've, I've kind of felt it, Lord God. But I want to come into a place, Lord God, of a thorough understanding of an intimacy that something is going to be reproduced that I'm always not founding myself half between two opinions or vacillating from this thing to, to that thing, Lord God. I want to be solidified, Lord God, in that place that I have in you. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that... When He will appear, somebody said, when He shall appear, we will be like Him. Who are we going to be like? We're going to be like Jesus. For we will see Him as He is. What's interesting, that word does not yet appear. Appear, that it talks about He shall appear. Same same word. The first one says, it is not yet made apparent. It's not yet apparent what we shall be. But when he shall appear, it means that it will be manifestly declared. So he's saying it does not yet, it's not apparent to me what we will be, but we know when he will be manifestly declared, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall appear, we will be like him, we will know it, we will be like him, for when we see him as he is. Let me ask you a question tonight. How do you see Him? How do you see Jesus? How do you see Him? Do you see Him as He is? Because if you said if you see Him as He is, you're going to know what His appearance is. The proof if we see Him as He is, is the manifestation of that in our life. It's going to be apparent. People are not going to have to tell somebody, well, I'm a Christian. They're going to look at you before you open your mouth and say, don't even say it, brother, it's apparent. That's what that's saying. But when's that going to happen? It's not going to happen, like I said, when we get the right card or the right badge around our neck. It's going to be when we see Him as He is, that it's going to be so obvious to anybody that sees it that I'm not going to have to have my membership card. I'm not going to have to have my t-shirt or my sign or my banner. There's going to be something inside of us that's something out of holiness and righteousness. There's going to be the power of God. And we're not just going to have to preach First uh, Thessalonians 1.5. Why? Because the Word will not just be Word only, but in power, in a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. The demonstration is going to start here, inside of us. When we move from the visible kingdom of the flesh... To the invisible kingdom of faith. Second Corinthians 5.11 We know the first part of this. Second Corinthians 5.11 Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. Do you know the terror of the Lord? Do you know it? Do you know the terror of the Lord? Megan, do you know the terror of the Lord? Do you know the terror of the Lord? Then why aren't you very persuasive? You know what he says? Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. My persuasion will be equal to my revelation of the terror of the Lord. Do you hear me? My persuasion, I'll say it again, will be equal to my revelation of the terror of the Lord. Therefore, when I know the terror of the Lord, I will be persuasive to men. Does that mean that every man that I speak of about the terror of the Lord is going to turn to him and repent? It doesn't mean that. It means that one thing is going to be for sure. They're going to know that one day they're going to stand before a holy and righteous God. They're either going to tremble in repentance or they're going to tremble in fear at the judgment of God. Why? When I come into that invisible kingdom, and I know that it's a fearful thing to fall into the presence of a mighty God, to find myself in that place, but the only time that I'm going to get that revelation is in that invisible place of the manifestation of His power and presence. 
When I know the terror of the Lord, I become persuasive in what I do. The persuasion, though, becomes a revelation and it provides man a clear-cut choice of holiness or rebellion against God. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now look at the second part of that verse. But we are made manifest unto God. We're made what? Manifest. Now listen to this last part. And I also trust that you're made manifest in your consciences. Are you made manifest unto God in your conscience? Anybody have any idea what a conscience is? Let me give you a definition. It's a co-perception. Co-perception. You ever heard that term? Co-perception? That's, the whole perception is that which is perceived both rationally and subconsciously. So if I have a co-perception of something, I'm perceiving it not just in the visible, but I'm perceiving it in the invisible. He said, I want you to be known of God, not just here where you were born again, but I want this to become such a reality that when you're functioning in the world, that you're in but not of, man, there is going to be a co-perception. It's going to be evidenced in both places. That God is going to manifest Himself to you and in you to to such a degree through faith that wherever you go, regardless of how dark, you're going to be light. Regardless of how wicked, you're going to be righteous. Regardless of, 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 of how diabolical, you're going to be holy. Regardless of how confusing, You're going to be long-suffering and stable. He said, I want you to have that place of co-perception in me. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10. As it's written, eye has not seen, you know it, ear has not heard. What are those things? Eye has not seen, ears not. What's it, what is that? What is that at? That's in the visible, right? That's in the, our rationale. Neither have entered into the heart of man. Where's that? That's the subconscious. Things which God has prepared for them that love Him. He said, "Eye has not seen, ears not heard." Those things that that we take for granted, that 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 visual judgment, nor. The subconscious, that, that, that other place, that, that co-perception. But God. Somebody say, but God. But God has revealed to us by His Spirit. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God dwells inside of you? But anyone that defiles that temple, God will destroy because God's temple is holy. Whose temple are you? 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17. Are you the temple of the visible? Or are you the temple of the invisible? Where do you dwell? Where is your perception? Where is your reality? For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, even the deep things. 2 Corinthians four fifteen through 18. For all things for your sakes that the abundant grace... What's grace? the divine influence of God upon the heart and its reflection in the life, might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause, that reason, we do not faint. But though our outward man perishes, even though, folks, listen, are you going to go through struggles in this life? I got, I got some news for you. You may consider it bad news, or you may consider it good news. I guess it's just depending on where you're standing. Your outward man will perish. Your outward man will get older. Your outward man will deteriorate. Your outward man will struggle. Your outward man will go through tribulation. Your outward man will endure uh, hardships. Your outward man will uh, have those type of effects in the outward. But what does it say? But what? Keep reading. The inward man is renewed day by day. Folks, the second I stop renewing the inward man, it's when I begin to have an outward focus. 
If my focus becomes outward, the renewal of my inward man shuts off. What was it that I read earlier that the Lord gave me while worship? The unrepentant heart is a heart cut off from the manifest presence of God. Verse 17, For our light affliction, which just for a moment, it's for how long? Just for a moment. But you don't understand how long I've been going through it. Just a moment. But it's been years. It's just a moment. Man, I've been battling this. It's just a moment. It's hard, but it's just a moment. Why? Because this life is but a vapor, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. In verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, they're temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Folks, are your eyes fixed upon the temporal? Or are they fixed upon the eternal? Because if you're fixated on the temporal, you're going to receive a temporal reward. But if I'm fixated or affixed to the eternal, I'm going to recognize and receive my reward in the eternal, in the supernatural. John 20 and 29. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, He said, Because you've seen me, you believed. Are you like that? As long as God is showing up with that check in the mail, God is showing up with that help at this minute, God is showing up with that miracle, then you believe. What about when what you're desiring is not seen? Do you still believe? Or do you find yourself shaking your proverbial fist at heaven and saying, God, I know I serve you in the invisible, but why aren't you delivering in the visible? Because the kingdom of God comes not with observation. It's within you. You will never see the manifestation of the kingdom outwardly until you walk in the kingdom inwardly. Do I need to say that again? You will never, you will never see the manifestation of the kingdom of God happen in your life outwardly until you first have citizenship in the kingdom of God inwardly. Jesus said to him, because you've seen, you believe but blessed are they which have not seen, who have not relied upon ocular evidence, and yet have believed anyway. The world says seeing is believing. God said not seeing is really believing. Let me ask you a question tonight. I'm going to close here in just a second. Do you know why repentance is so important? Anybody have any idea? Jesse, do you know why repentance is so important? Let me do you one better than that. Repentance is kingdom thinking. Repentance is how we think in a kingdom. You know why I can say that? I can say that because when John came out of a man-made kingdom under the law. It was a kingdom. The kingdom John the Baptist came preaching out in Matthew 3, 1 and 2. It says, In those days came John preaching out of the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, there was a kingdom. There was a Roman kingdom. There was a Jewish kingdom. There were kingdoms of this world. But he showed up and he said, Listen, you've got to repent so you can see the right kingdom. Because when he began to preach that message, because they were worldly, outwardly focused on that kingdom, they could not understand it. And the reason repentance is so important to you and I, folks, it begins to get us to think in line with his kingdom. It's that moral compunction to think 
differently. I don't want to think with the ocular evidence. I don't want to think with the outward appearance. I don't want to think because seeing is believing. I want to think in a way that cannot be defined in this world. I want to think outside of the realm of time and space. I want to think the way the kingdom thinks. Why? So I can live the way the kingdom lives. So I can preach the way the, the kingdom preaches. And so one day I can stand before a holy and righteous God and He's going to look into my life and He's going to find faith. Not a faith based on the outward, but a faith based upon the inward, which is only realized and recognized and manifested through a heart of repentance. Proverbs 23, 7, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Show me a man struggling, I'll show you a man struggling in his heart. Show me a man not willing to forgive, I'll show you a man unforgiving in his heart. Show me an angry person, I'll show you an angry person at heart. You can't escape it. As a man thinks, so is he. Folks, I got news for you. The only way that we can change the way that we think is through repentance. You hear me? You can't counsel a different way of thinking. You can't beg or preach a different way of thinking. Have you tried it on the streets? You've done it. You sat across from a tree stump and you tried to count somebody. Here's the way it is. You, you, you stood on a wall and by, by a bar and you tried to tell what it is. But until somebody comes to that place of kingdom thinking and they say, I need to change the way I think, you can preach, you can holler, you can counsel, you can do all those things until the, 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 the crows come home. But you know what? It's not going to change the way they think. You can explain all their, their questions. You can, you can dissect all of these problematic verses. But until someone changes the way they think, they will never see it. I have it happen all the time. i got another question. What about this? What about that? What about this one? Does this mean this? Does that mean that? You can't explain the realities and the deep things of God to someone without a renewed mind. Repentance is kingdom thinking. What you see, not what you get. But it's the place and object of our faith that produce kingdom results. And that place is always the same. Faith, the finished work of the cross of Calvary. How are you thinking tonight? Mark 15, 29 through 30. You know it. They passed by, they railed upon him, wagging their heads. And said, oh, you destroyed the temple, you said, and you'll build it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Folks, the cross is the key to our repentance. The key to our thinking different. Another verse that you know well, Galatians 2, 20, 21. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I, but Christ that lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. The Son of God who loved me gave himself for me. Verse 21 is the key here. He said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. That word law can also be translated religion or custom. If my righteousness is only through my customs, what are our customs? Our customs are those things that we see, that we experience. If my righteousness can only come through that which is manifested outwardly, Christ is dead in me. Let's stand to our feet tonight.